Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. Big show this week. The Athletics' Robert Mays is joining me to talk about the Justin Fields trade and what it means for his beloved Chicago Bears. And then we're going to recap the NFC offseasons and what each team might have left missing as they built their offseason roster heading into 2021. But before we get into all that, I want to quickly tell you about another ESPN podcast you may have heard of before. It is The Right Time with Bomani Jones featuring, yes, the excellent Bomani Jones. This podcast has it all. Hot takes, meaningful discussion, and great guests, including our friend Dominique Foxworth, who was on last week. And if you're like me, one Bomani podcast a week is not enough. So the podcast is released twice a week, every Tuesday and Thursday. So make sure you're downloading and following The Right Time with Bomani Jones twice a week, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, ESPN Films' latest documentary, 144, executive produced by ESPN Radio and First Take Her Take podcast host as well. Somehow, I don't know how Ginny does all of this, as well as current WNBA player Ginny Aguamike takes viewers inside the WNBA's unprecedented 2020 season. Four months after the WNBA postponed its season due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the league set out to play a condensed season entirely in a bubble where 144 players across 12 teams not only came together to play basketball, but also to dedicate their season to social justice. 144 will premiere May 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN, and the film will be available on ESPN Plus immediately after its premiere. So please check that out. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country. There is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8-S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Now here's Robert Mays talking about the 2020 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears move for Justin Fields, and what NFC teams missed this past offseason. All right. Joining me now here, as promised, on the Bill Barnwell Show. Had to have him on. Had to bring him back. Talk about this. We're going to get to the needs still left around the NFC in a little bit. But days after his beloved Chicago Bears made the biggest move of draft weekend, trading up for Justin Fields, perhaps solving every problem with the franchise over the past several (laughs) years in one fell swoop, Joining us for his victory lap is the Athletics' Robert Mays. Mays, how are you feeling now, several days after this bold move from Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, and the Chicago Bears organization? I'm mostly scared. I I think that's the (laughs) the prevailing emotion at this point. I, I was so excited, and I am still so excited, but now... When you have this guy who I loved in the process, and that's why this is so fun for me, is that he Mm -hmm. was the quarterback I really liked outside of Trevor Lawrence, obviously. But when I was trying to stack up the guys, I just couldn't understand why he wasn't the second best guy after watching him in Ohio State. And I understand some of the the criticisms and some of the concerns and all of that, but I just thought he was so talented. And for him to land with the Bears was so exciting. And now it's just one of those things where I've spent the last few days 
kind of turning over in my mind, how does he fit everything else? How does everything else fit him? What's the timeline for this team? What does his supporting cast look like? Is this coaching staff in front office going to be around next year if this goes poorly? So there's all of those things. When you have a guy you feel like can be the future, are the other ancillary pieces in place to get the most out of him? That's kind of the thought that I've gone to here. And it's it's led to some complicated emotions. I guess that's what I'll say. I mean, let's go back to Thursday because I I saw the news on Twitter. You were doing a live video show with our friend Nate Tice for The Athletic, and there was a delay. So there was about a two or three minute delay between the show coming up and the news breaking. And so I got to see you react to this news in real time, which, you know, it's kind of like, you know, watching someone get proposed to or, you know, like like seeing someone fall in love. It, it felt like that. It was just like you were glowing in a perhaps uncomfortable way, perhaps an exciting way. Um, it was just a, a joy to watch. But now it feels like a couple days later, there's sort of a hangover here. There's sort of a feeling of, oh, this might not actually fix things. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, think about how many times we've seen a team draft a quarterback in the top 10 of the first round, and that's what it is. It's billed as a savior. It's billed as this cure-all for everything that's ill the franchise, and so rarely is that true. And for the most part, quarterbacks succeed and fail because of the surroundings that they're given and because of the help that they're given, sure. the support staff that they're given. And there are uh, examples where that's not necessarily the case. I mean, Sean Watson's going to be good no matter what. He was good even when it wasn't great in Houston with the pieces around him. Sure. I think Justin Herbert was excellent last year. He had a very bad offensive line and just some concerns about play calling distribution and all that other stuff. Some guys are going to shine through, and you'd hope that's true with Justin Fields as well. But I still just have questions. That's where I'm left. What I'm left with is questions. Okay. What type of timeline is he going to be on? What type of timeline are the coaching staff in the front office on? If he's going to play right away, do they have the protection in place now after cutting their left tackle and rolling with some rookies that's going to allow him to be secure in his first season? That's what that's what's happening here. Is that I just think there are so many questions now after we've gotten the answer of who's going to be the quarterback. And I don't know. I think that leads to some anxiety because there's so much riding on his success now. Mm -hmm. I just want as much to be in place as possible to fuel that success. So to start, are, are you of the volition that Justin Fields should be the week one starter for the Chicago Bears? I think yes. I feel like there's a trade-off either way. And I've talked to a lot of people about this in the past. I remember a conversation I had with Bruce Arians last year about it. We were just talking about how you get a young quarterback ready. And he was he's adamant that you put them in there as soon as they're almost ready, just because that's the way you learn. You can't learn holding a clipboard is what he told me. And I understand that. But I also think that we've seen young quarterbacks in bad situations develop scar tissue in the past where – you don't have the help that you need and bad habits form and you start seeing ghosts and all that other stuff. So I understand both arguments. I tend to lean toward playing the guy as soon as he's ready, because that's the most valuable experience you can have. But I also think that you can make an argument that the Bears supporting cast has enough holes where maybe it'd be better for him to sit for a year. You spend next offseason 
trying to improve the surroundings and the offense, everything else. And that's the way that you go. I, I think that their best option, both as a team and for him, is for him to play right away. But I understand how you could come down on either side of that. was trying to remember whether Rex Grossman played week one of his rookie nope. season. He did not. Do you know who the starting quarterback was for the Bears week one that year? 2003. 2003. I, I admit I have no recollection whatsoever of this person playing for the Chicago Bears. I actually don't remember who do it was. One, one more hint. He had a yeah. passer rating of 21.9 on this game. He was 14 of 34 for 95 yards with a touchdown and three picks. I can't remember. There's so many names. It is Cordell Stewart. Wow. I, mean, I, I obviously know he played, but I can't remember what years or all of I that stuff. I mean, have zero recollection of him playing for the Bears. Oh, I definitely remember him playing for the Bears. I, I just didn't remember exactly what year it was. Because I think 2002 would have been the Cordell Stewart, Craig Krenzel, Chad Hutchinson stretch, correct? Uh, no, 2002, he was playing for the Steelers. Okay, so Chad, 2002, the quarterbacks for the Bears were, <laughs> as, as, as I'm pulling this up, this is great radio. Oh, no, 2002, excuse me, oh was Jim God. Miller, Jim Miller, Chris Chandler, and Henry Burris. So okay, that means... Man. 2001 must have been the Craig Krenzel combination of. Oh no, that was Jim Miller too. Maybe Craig Krenzel was earlier than that. I 2001 was actually a decent year. This is the game okay. that I no longer want to play though, and that's the fun part about this is that this game informs how you feel about Justin Fields because they've been doing this for so long, where all these names you're cycling through, and that mm-hmm. is what Justin Fields represents. He represents a chance to break that cycle once and for all, and that's why. I'm just, I have so much concern about how this is going to go. Okay. So, you know how like on Pro Football Reference, like the passing section will have like two names typically, maybe even one name for some years. Oh yeah. The 2002 Bears have eight different players who threw a pass for them. It's so incredible. Uh, Brian Urlacher threw a pass. Oh God. It's amazing. There, every single year is a new adventure when you look at those lists. But Okay. So 2004, 2004 is the best one, by the way. 2004 was Chad Hutchinson started five games. Okay. Okay. He was one and four. He had a passer rating of 73.6, which is actually much better than everyone else. Craig Kretzel was three and two. He completed 46.5% of his passes. Well, he touched out six interceptions. Jonathan Quinn, five, five games, 52% completion, 53 passer rating and Rex Grossman, three games. That is the life I lived for a very, very long time. Craig Krenzel won two games, one of which was against the Giants, by the way, uh, two games where he did not complete more than th- uh, 39% of his passes, which is Chicago Bears football, baby, Chicago Bears football, baby. Well, does that change now, though? I mean, I, I think the points you bring up about surrounding the guy with talent are, are totally valid. And, and I talked about this a little bit in my column before the draft, which was, you know, if we're sort of looking at the quarterbacks now and how they are developed over the course of uh, this sort of modern CBA, the the, the post 2011 CBA, you get three years after year three, you're basically deciding, do I want to give this guy an extension or do I want to turn down their fifth year option? Don't guarantee Mm -hmm. that fifth year option. And at that point you start looking for a new guy. Uh, The jets just went out and they would have declined Sam Darnold's option, obviously, but they get Zach Wilson instead. They trade Sam Darnold. So that three-year clock starts taking, from the moment you enter the NFL and 
if a guy gets hurt, if he misses a part of the year in year two or year three, you might only have one full year to evaluate that guy if he sits for his first season. So unless you're Patrick Mahomes and you're the Chiefs and you have this perfect situation, which the Bears do not, to be clear, uh, you can't set that guy for all of his first year. Maybe part of it for sure, but not all of his first year. You need some data from that first season or some at least some adjustment to the speed of the pro game. And then you take that back to how you build around those guys. You can't wait to build around these guys. You can't wait till the second year to put talent around that player. You have to do it from day one. You might have a Josh Allen situation where just, you know, he improves exponentially as you add a ton of talent around him, but the bills nailed every step of that process. And Mm -hmm. we can't count on a team to be that successful, to have Stefan Diggs pop up in your lap, to hit on so many draft picks, to add so much depth in free agency. And the other problem is that for the bills, they were operating from a position where they were basically just chucking out the old roster. I mean, they got rid of pretty much everybody and started over. For the Bears, whether it's contracts, whether it's legacy players, whether it's draft picks, whether it's just uh, not how they operate the football team, whether it's not having draft picks, I mean, this is a team that their roster right now on offense around Justin Fields is not optimal. And you look forward to next year. Next year, you have... Allen Robinson, who is not under contract, does not want to be franchise tagged this year, uh, possibly becoming a free agent. You have um, no first round pick because of the Justin Fields trade. Like It's going to be harder for them to add talent around Fields next year than it even would have been this year. And so I think when I think about Fields' possibility of succeeding over the next few years, like, yes, he has an innate level of skill and he might have a better chance of succeeding than some other quarterback, but compared to Trey Lance, where Trey Lance has every possible advantage, it does not feel like Justin Fields uh, has, outside of Allen Robinson, any of those advantages. I totally agree. And, and I think that that's part of the concern I have and the thought that I have about what's the timeline? What's the goal? What are you trying to accomplish? How much are you trying to hold on to that defense? Is it better to tear it down? Is someone else other than Ryan Pace going to be tearing it down if this doesn't go well? Is the fact that he was allowed to do... The, pull off this move and trade up for Justin Fields. Is that an indication that he has a lot more time and leeway to make this happen? These are the questions that I have, but when it comes to the supporting cast, I completely agree with you. There were five quarterbacks drafted in the first round, Mm -hmm. depending on how some of the rookie classes go, especially with the jets. That's what I have in mind with Vera Tucker and with Elijah Moore. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely a world where Justin Fields is in the worst circumstances of all five of those quarterbacks in his first season, if he does end up playing, I don't think that's a stretch to say. I think and that's I, the concern here. I think we live in that world. I think that world is earth in 2021. Like, I think that's, you know, I, I think for the Jets, you have Mikai Beckton, which is an absolute superstar building block on the offensive line, protecting your blind side, which the Bears actually, let me ask about that now that we're here. Like, the Bears trade up to draft Kevin Jenkins in the second round. You know how I feel about trading up, you know how I feel about the Bears trading up. But maybe you make the case of, okay, we need to protect our guy. We go out and get Tevin Jenkins. Maybe you make the argument there. Why are they, even if you're not thrilled with Charles Leno, like, why are you cutting Charles Leno this deep into your offseason? Like, what is your plan here along the offensive line? It just seems one step forward, two steps back with this team all the time. And that's what's frustrating is that there's this whack-a-mole of problem solving where moving up to get Jenkins, when you think of it in your mind, it's like, all right, now you have two starting caliber tackles. You'll figure out the interior. If Fetty's still there, what happens with Mustafer who played okay last year? Do you feel like 
you have three guys on the roster where you can feel the decent interior. Mm-hmm. Now, the domino and the cascading effect of losing Leno is really problematic because if they're not going to go out and get a veteran replacement, a guy mm-hmm. like an Okung or an Eric Fisher, which if you are and you sign them for three or four million bucks and you're saving six with Leno, what are we doing here? So right. if you're looking at the in-house options and you're putting Jenkins on the left side, but let's say you move a Fetty to right tackle and then you have one of those other guys play guard, you're theoretically getting worse in three different spots if you do that. Mm-hmm. That's the problem is that you start knocking every guy down a different peg and it just creates all of these issues that you wouldn't have had if you just kept Leno and then had Tevin Jenkins play on the right side. That's my concern here. I just I understand they needed to save money. I'm sure there was a reason why they wanted to cut Leno and keep guys like Jimmy Graham. Okay. But I just think if but I were building around other a quarterback, question. I wouldn't do this. I would kept the tackle. That's my other question is that if you want to create some cap space, there's a big old man at tight end who, yes. I mean, uh, Leno had $8.9 million base salary. So it was 11 ish. It was 11 ish million. They saved six by cutting him. Okay. But like Graham I, is at 10 million, they would save 7 million. by. Cutting I'm not him. even saying in terms of cash. I'm saying in terms of actual cash on pocket, like maybe the organization said, Hey, oh. this is our budget for this year. You can only spend this much. Maybe trading up for Justin Fields. It's a fair point. Chicago's a small market. There's not a lot of money to throw around. I, I don't know if you've heard about this maze, but there are certain other teams in the Chicago market that even though they could spend as much money as they want to build a successful team. And in fact, built a successful team that won a championship several years ago, that has not discouraged ownership from trying to cut down on their spending. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's come great. up a couple of times. Now, Jimmy Graham, uh, $7 million this year. Uh, unguaranteed. Now, I I know Jimmy Graham did catch the final pass in Bears history for Mitchell Trubisky. There is at least some level of, you know, a history there with Jimmy Graham. It's the um, slime cannon premium is what they're saying. Yeah, uh, his, his jersey was the last to be doused in slime uh, in the Superdome in New Orleans. But I, I don't get it. You know, like, like if you're going to get rid of Jimmy Graham, I could see that Cole Komet is coming into his second season. Tight ends should just take a leap in year two. I know they love tight ends in Chicago, but like, I, I, like, I just don't, it's an unforced error to me. Like if you were going to trade Charles Leno and you're getting like a future second round pick back or like a really valuable player at a different position, I'd say, okay, I don't really like this because you're not protecting Justin Fields, but I can see it. Like, I don't understand why this was the place they decided to save money. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. I mean, even losing a guy like Akeem Hicks, you don't want to do that. Great locker room guy, very good presence, all of that stuff. But I just think you should do everything you can in your power to give your quarterback that you just spent all of this financial and emotional resources on the best chance to succeed. I mean, look at what the Jets just did. You, I wouldn't trade. I think you would also you know, not do this. Trading two mid-round picks to move up for a guard is not advisable process. No. But at least the goal here is to surround the guy you just drafted in the first round with as much talent and protection as you possibly can mm-hmm. to make sure that he succeeds. The Bears are going the opposite direction, and it concerns me. I just don't think that's what I would have done. I understand that Charles Leno is not the best left tackle in the league or anything like that, but functionality is what really matters at those positions. He's a guy that played all 16 games in each of the last six seasons. He's 29 years old. And even making $11 million, that's half of what a guy at the top of the market is making. This is not Kyle Fuller at $20 million. So I just don't love it. I don't love that thought process and being that area to be the one that you're saving money. And I, I think it's just one step back again. So isn't it at least a little funny 
that for the second time in four years, five years, the Bears went out and gave a veteran quarterback in free agency eight figures and then immediately traded up for a quarterback who totally rendered that quarterback irrelevant. This was a little bit different to me. A little. Because when when you have the 20th pick in the draft, it's a little bit more uncertain as to whether you can have a guy that's available that you like. When you have the third pick in the draft, it's way less defensible to give a guy $18 million guaranteed. So I, it is funny and a, a tiny bit frustrating. I'm way more frustrated about the fact that Nick Foles is counting for $6 million on the Bears cap right now, and they just had to cut their left tackle and save $6 million. That's way more frustrating to me than them going out and signing Andy Dalton this spring. Are they going to trade Nick Foles? Like, what happens here? I, I don't know. I really don't know. That's the issue here. It's that you look at the cap and it's 14 million for Robert Quinn, who's uncuttable. It's $6 million for Nick Foles. And one of the reasons they didn't have a fourth round pick last year, it's just, that's the the issue to me is that there's so many problems and so many mistakes that are hamstringing them still, even after they've gotten the quarterback that it just worries me. I, I just, I think the guy is really talented. And I think that this version of things where maybe you have the quarterback and you have to figure everything else out, that may be preferable to what we've been dealing with for the last 30 years in this town. But I still think there are so many gaps to fill in, and I'm just not confident in this group's ability to fill in those gaps. But it's fun. It's fun to have a really exciting quarterback. It's exciting. And, and kind of a crappy I think that's team. what we do. We like If this goes well, and, when, and you watch that guy play, and it's incredible, then you figure everything else out. It's like, if this is the guy, then we'll figure the rest out later. And I think, again, that order of operations, I'd rather do that than what we've been doing. But it still is not going to be an easy road when you look at the holes on the roster, the lack of resources that they have, and the problems that have plagued them in team building for the last several years. So last question about this, we'll move on. What are you willing to sacrifice from your life for Justin Fields to have a Hall of Fame career? Like, like what is what is your favorite food? I'm trying to think like what relationships I'd be willing to cut loose. <laughs> don't don't use me in this scenario. I am no, you're you're people. way too valuable to me. I there are probably some people that I talk to like a few times a year where I could I'd be comfortable cutting them out of my life. I food is tough just because we're walking back into the restaurant world here, and I, I don't really want to take that off the table right now. Um I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Something substantial, though. If you. A dessert. If, like I never in my life would I eat ice cream again. If Justin wow. Fields became a Hall of Fame quarterback, like I would be willing to do that. I my sweet tooth is not such that that would ruin my life. I wouldn't be happy about it. I am moving away from living up, upstairs from a Jenny's ice cream, which is a nice Oh boy. Lifestyle change for me. So it'd be a little bit easier, but I would never eat another dessert again. Oh, just, just I've, got it. I've got yeah. it. I've got it. I've got it. Okay. You can never listen to Metallica ever again. If Justin Fields is a 10 year career done, I would do done. it in a heartbeat. Done. Okay. There's other music. I absolutely, <laughs> I would do that in a heartbeat. There's other quarterbacks. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I will. Please, if you're listening, uh, nominate some things for Robert Mays to sacrifice in lieu of. 
Justin Fields having a long career. Do you think I'm being like a little bit too pessimistic here? I know you are the one that I think would throw cold water on this situation. So maybe you're the wrong person to ask. I, oh, I feel like I'm, sure I would. I'm just putting a damper on this one. I shouldn't, but I'm also just, I don't know. I, I'm a little worried. Here's, <laughs> I think that's, that's where I'm at. Here's the argument I made yesterday. I was talking on the radio with Sarah Spain, who was a Bears fan. And she was saying the same Her husband thing. is my realtor. I saw him yesterday. Oh, wow. I hope you got the ESPN discount there. At least got ESPN, I certainly did not. Got got ESPN plus thrown in or something at the very least. Uh, what what I I would say is this: like there are a variety of ways for a team to not be exciting, or a variety of ways for teams not to do well. Like yes, if you're the Chiefs, if you're the Bills, if you're like three or four teams in the league, you have a very successful story. You feel great about your football team. You're in range of a championship. For like 22 or 24 teams, you're kind of like, okay, we have to get super lucky or our coach is a mess or our quarterback situation is a mess. Like of the ways for a team to not be an immediate Super Bowl contender from the jump, like having a exciting young quarterback to hope on is the yeah. most exciting of those things. So like I agree. All, all the things you said are true. Like, yes, this roster is whack-a-mole. Um, the coaching staff is uh, pretty bad from what it seems like. They did not get the last quarterback to develop any, really at all. Um, the GM sort of doesn't seem to know what he's good at. Like he's great at finding guys in the middle rounds and then keeps trading up to get rid of those picks um, <laughs> inexplicably. Um, but like you still have the possibility that at some point in 2021, it will be a night game at Soldier Field, there will be fans in the stands and it will be uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, going shot for shot with Justin Fields and Justin Fields might Dude, they, be The Bears don't up. play the, the Broncos this year, I don't think. <laughs> Should have saw that one coming. Should have saw that one coming. I, I tend to agree with you. I, I feel like, and, and I've been saying this for long enough and I, I feel like I'm talking on both sides of my mouth in a way because I'm pessimistic about this in some ways. Sure. But I've been saying for so long, I, I just want them to break the cycle. I need them to step outside of this in some small way. The tinkering that they were doing was never going to get this team anywhere. They needed to do something to radically change their trajectory. And this is that. I don't know exactly what the process is now. And I have concerns about what the process might look like. And again, the people making the decisions and all of that. But I am happy that the process has changed, that something has shifted that now there is a new approach and there's a new way to be doing this that is exciting and i'm excited about him i just now there's so much riding on his success that it's hard not to sit there and think about all of the different facets of what leads to that success to me it's as simple as this this is a good move for the bears and a bad move for justin fields yeah yeah i think that's fair so let's move on we got a lot to talk about here we talked about the Bears and Justin Fields and uh, cutting Charles Leno after trading up Jeff Jenkins. We're going to go around the league. We're going to talk about the, I'm sorry, we're going to go around the NFC. We'll do the AFC next week. We'll go around the NFC, sort of talk about what's left on these rosters to kind of hit after free agency and after the draft. So already in the NFC North, I guess let's start there, um, which is difficult because next team up would be the Detroit Lions, who kind of need a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, I for them, I don't even know what this conversation looks like. I just think they're starting from square one. 
And that their roster, I wrote about this today. I think their draft speaks to that. They're drafting building blocks on the offensive and defensive line. And I'm really curious what the next year for them is going to look like, because you think about the golf being there and then some of the other contracts on their books, whether it's Trey Flowers, Jamie Collins still, uh, Vitae still is on his deal that they signed. Mm -hmm. It's not really easy to get out of those. Next year, it might be. So I just think this is a total and complete teardown, and we see where we are in 2022. If they trade golf next year, mm-hmm. I think it's $15 million in dead money. And it's, a, I think, $25 million with the roster bonus for the team that trades for him. Mm-hmm. That's not ideal, but for a year, if you need a quarterback answer, maybe you can trade him. They have an extra first-round pick next year. They're going to be picking in the top five. I just think this team is a total blank slate. Like what comes next for them is literally anything positive and we're going in the right direction. I mean, what is this offense going to look like? It's Anthony Lynn at OC, Jared Goff at quarterback, and the top two receivers are Brashad Perryman and Tyrell Williams. Like, I have no idea what this is going to look like. It's going to be weird. Like, it might be fun to watch on a, on a football nerd basis, but I just do not know what this is going to be. But don't you, I love the fact that they just signed Brashad Perriman and Tyrell Williams. And we're just like, well, we're going to be real bad. We're chucking it. That, we're chucking that, it. that is, that's totally fine with me. I think this team should be trying to win two games and have the guys in the building buy into the culture in some way. They should be Brian Flores dolphining it. And I think that guys like Michael Brockers, that's exactly the reason that he's there. I mean, this is a very good tank job as far as I'm concerned. And I think that's what they should be doing. I picture them starting like 0-6, and and then they finally win a game, and they have like, they definitely have something in the locker room, like the Keep Chopping Wood uh, axe that like Dan Campbell lets uh, Penny Sewell use after the game to like destroy something. I don't, the, the golf thing and how it fits into this equation, I think that was always my question. Even when they made the move, I was like, how does Jared Goff fit into the Lions' plans? I, they might have gotten more in the deal. Maybe that second first-round pick only happens if Goff is included mm-hmm. and you eat the money because you have it. I can understand that. But for the most part, I think that everything they've done outside of the Goff's part of this is a total teardown move while trying to maintain some level of culture. And I think, again, that's why you make the Brockers move. So, again, everything that they've done, I think that's probably what I would do if I was trying to start over again. And that's what this team is doing. Mm-hmm. Green Bay Packers, um, obviously, we can leave the Aaron Rodgers conversation aside. I mean, I'm sure you've talked about it on the Athletic Football Show. I talked about it with Dominique Foxworth last week. Um, outside of Rodgers, uh, two questions here. I mean, number one, leaving aside the possibility of a trade, do you think they've done enough to address the offense? Yes. I mean, the spots where they needed some help, that's where they focused their resources in the draft. They drafted a a center in Josh Myers in the second round, who some people didn't think should be taken that high, but you draft a center in the second round, I assume they're going to want to play him from the start or very quickly. So maybe that moves Jenkins back to guard. Mm -hmm. You figure out Runyon or Patrick is the other spot. So probably have five functional starters there. Amari Rogers perfectly fits what they needed. He's not the most explosive playmaker, but he's exactly the type of over the middle of the field slot option that may not be explosive, but is a change of direction sort of guy in the mold mm-hmm. that they did not have. That their skill sets on all, in their receiving core outside of Devontae Adams 
were very redundant. Rogers allows them to do a lot of things they weren't doing, Even like jet sweeps, stuff like that, where they were using Aaron Jones in that role. Rogers just fits in so much better mm-hmm. to the overall equation of the offense. And then if you go to the other side, that second corner spot was a huge need for them. Again, Eric Stokes may be considered as a reach by some people, but they went out and got another corner. Mm-hmm. And I just think that right now, top to bottom, it's still a pretty good roster. I mean, they filled it out in the ways you probably want them to outside of going out and spending big on another receiver. Mm-hmm. So let's consider the alternative here. Let's say that the Packers solve the Aaron Rodgers situation. They give him a big extension. He's locked in as a starter for three or four more years. Jordan Love becomes kind of unnecessary. What do you think the Packers could get for Jordan Love in a trade right now? Probably the Garoppolo deal, right? Or the or the Josh Rosen deal, which is a second round pick. A two? Yeah, I could see that. That's where I would start if I was a GM or if I were the Packer or if I was a GM calling, that's probably where I would start. They are precedent matters with this stuff so much. Every time I ever have a conversation with the GM or somebody in the league or an agent about what it would take to get somebody out of a situation, it's always, well, what did this guy go for? That's always where this stuff starts. So if you look at comparable spots, I would say that Rosen and Garoppolo are, are the two backups with starter caliber upside that were traded during their rookie contracts. So I, that, that's where I would start with this. Steelers, maybe? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is how the Saints feel about him. I'm just trying to go over the same old usual suspects. It's so nice that the Bears aren't involved in this conversation anymore. <laughs> it's one it's just, of the positives. It's, it's the only positive. The fact that I never have to think about the types of moves that the Broncos and the Panthers were making over the last couple of weeks at least for the next five years. I'm really excited about that. But yeah, I, I would say those two teams make sense. I mean, there aren't that, it's similar to Garoppolo's lack of market right now. There just mm-hmm. aren't many suitors or quarterback needy teams at this stage of the calendar because a lot of people have filled those spots. I mean, it's one of the reasons the Broncos and the Panthers passed on Justin Fields is because right. those seats were already filled. So I don't know who'd want them right now, but I think there might be a team looking toward 2022 that thinks it's worth the risk. Mm-hmm. So for Packers, anything that pops up to you is like position they did not get to. I would say maybe defensive line in terms of like, you know, yeah, depth on the, uh, you know, with their five techniques. Yeah, probably. I think that's totally fair. Uh, we'll see what happens and what type of, because they're playing a different defense this year. So I, I think that's something to consider. Are we going to see more three edge rusher sets on the field at the same time, that kind of stuff. So I, I think they still have enough in the front seven. And I think that the defensive, the change in the defensive staff could be huge for them. Mm-hmm. So not only are, is the talent, in my opinion, still pretty good, but a change to Joe Barry in a different sort of scheme, I think could really, really benefit that. I group. mean, Mike, Mike Pettin was beloved in Green Bay. So it's going to be, tough. everyone loved him. Big fan. Tough, tough emotionally to uh, get past the, uh, you know, the change of defensive coordinator. Um, Vikings, I mean, a team that drafts a quarterback and Kellen Mond in the third round. Um, in terms of, we figured they would hit offensive line, and they did. Christian saw at tackle, but then they had Wyatt Davis at guard. I mean, is it possible they're starting two rookies on the left side of the line week one? Yeah, I absolutely think it's possible. You know, Davis is somebody that, when I went back and I watched his 2019 tape, he looked really good. I mean, the traits and the talent is obvious. He was a really high recruit. And then you watch the 2020 tape. It's like, who is that guy? And clearly he was not physically feeling very good. I mean, Mm -hmm. to get him in the third round, he absolutely could represent an upgrade for them. So if they can rebuild that left side of their line, 
and Garrett Bradbury takes a little bit of a step forward in year three and year two of that offense, who knows? I mean, that, that could be a functional group there. Then it becomes a question of what is Kirk Cousins and what's your ceiling there? A similar set of questions that we've often asked about this team. <laughs> so I do think that the, the resources they spent on the line, the fact that they could trade back and get Darisaw is really nice. Uh, anything you feel like they did not address this offseason? Uh, looking at it right now, I mean, obviously the uh, the pass rush was a concern last year, mm-hmm. but you get Hunter back, which is probably the, the most important addition oh, sure. there. You bring back Weatherly, who has been you know, mildly productive with that staff before. Sure. So for the most part, I think that they filled it out in the way they probably should have. I mean, the other safety spot may be a question. They bring in Xavier Woods mm-hmm. after losing Anthony Harris. So that's more that's murkier than it's been in the past because we just haven't seen non-lifetime Vikings in those spots for a while. But I, I think that I, I do trust that the defensive staff's ability to get the most out of this group. I just think them getting healthier on that side of the ball is the most important thing for them. Yeah, I thought about maybe safety um, and then maybe tight end, given that you you do go move on from Kyle Rudolph. You have Irv Smith and Irv's going to be the starter, but they love two tight end sets and they'll use Tyler Conklin. That's there. a really, really good point. I mean, what's the, what are the pass catching? What's the pass catching group going to look like if it's in more 11? Who's your other third receiver here? I'm telling you, Nate loves Emir Smith-Marset. <laughs> so in, in Nate's mind, Emir Smith-Marset, you plug him in day one. He's your third receiver, and it's the sky's the limit here for them on offense. Now, remember, they they took a couple of weeks before getting Justin Jefferson in the lineup. They probably learned from that mistake, and you got to figure that week one, Emir Smith-Marset is going to be on the field. I mean, clearly he's going to be better than Justin Jefferson was a rookie. I mean, that's just guaranteed at this point. He's going to have the greatest rookie season in the history of receivers. He's going to be the best rookie Vikings receiver of all time. A high bar. Ever. Not Vikings. No, nec- not, that's not a necessary qualifier. Best rookie receiver ever. Even though I think arguably the two best rookie, the two that's best why rookie I said receivers it. ever are both Vikings. Yeah. Yes. That's why. Randy Moss and Justin Jefferson, pretty good. Uh, Atlanta Falcons. Um, of course, they take Kyle Pitts fourth overall. Um, seems like they want to run it back with this core and adding a superstar tight end, possibly in Kyle Pitts. Hayden Hurst is in a weird situation now because he's in the final year of his deal. Uh, they turned down his fifth year option, a, a guy they traded a second round pick for last year at a position that is they tough is, to fill around the who NFL. Who is they, though? That's the question. It's a different front office. And I think we've seen that a couple of different times with the moves that they've made. They drafted Matt Hennessy in the third round last year, and now they go out and get two interior linemen in the third and fourth round. Mm-hmm. So there's a chance they just don't see Hennessy as a long term option at center on the interior for them. So that's the problem is when you come in as a new front office, you're balancing what you want with a roster that you didn't choose. And so that's the spot that Terry Fontenot finds himself in right now. Right. So if you're Terry Fontenot, are you looking at possibly trading Hayden Hurst? Sure. If you can get something for him, I think that's totally reasonable. The bears could probably use another tight end. Would you get Jimmy Graham back as part of that deal? If you're the Falcons? I'm not sure that's what you'd want. Uh, I mean, there, there's definitely holes in this roster. And I think it's, if there's a fit, that's great. You know, I, I could see like someone who comes to mind for me is like Mike Hughes, where Mike Hughes missed, you know, it has been hurt and they declined his fifth year option. I wonder if there's like a, a trade for about there, but I do think cornerback is the position that I feel like they did not hit hard enough this offseason. Of course, a lot to do, not a lot of cap space. They did use a couple of mid round picks on help in the secondary, but I just think, you know, I understand that these Saints are not going to be the Saints of old this year, probably, but that secondary is just a blinking light 
when it comes to uh, what's going to get attacked in 2021. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there are a ton of defensive holes here. I think the pass rush is also a serious concern. I mean, outside of Grady Jarrett, I know Dante Fowler is making a lot of money and it's hard to move on from him, but there, there's not a lot to love in the front seven either. But I like the fact that they're continuing to build up the offense. I mean, let's say, but one of the guys between Mayfield and Dahlman ends up becoming somebody that can start for you day one. Let's say Mayfield's your left guard and Pitts is really good right away. This could be like a top five offense. Oh, for sure. I mean, Arthur, I, I, that, and that's what's exciting. I mean, with Arthur Smith in there and Matt Ryan playing in a system that is tangentially related to one where he won the MVP, I'm sure some of the concepts, some of the language even is going to be similar enough. I mean, it's an exciting op- process. The prospect of this is exciting. And I am totally fine with saying we're going to have the best offense possible. We'll figure out the defense later. That That is acceptable thinking to me. That is not very Bears-esque thinking, but I, I will take it certainly. And I, I think that's fair. Um, I I know that the Falcons are a team that the numbers say are going to improve. I'm already like just scared about having to watch Falcons games. They're leading by two points in the fourth quarter, <laughs> counting on them to win. But that is a, a burden I will bear when we get to September. Um, the Panthers, and I think this is your good person to ask about this because I don't understand what's happening at left tackle. Last year, they trade Trey Turner for Russell Okung, which doesn't give Greg Little the chance to develop at left tackle. So Kuhn comes in, he gets hurt. He doesn't play the full season, obviously. Um, Now this year, it seems like Greg Little is moving back to left tackle. Brady Christensen comes in the third round. They have Cam Irving, who played a little bit for the the Cowboys at left tackle, played tackle for the Cowboys in emergencies, I believe. Um, What is happening with the left side of this line? And how do you think it's going to pan out? And will it pan out well? My guess is they're just taking dice rolls. I mean, bringing Elfline in, bringing Cam Irving in, the third round pick on Christensen, you're just saying, let's take several shots at this and just see if we can get five functional guys. Even Deontay Brown is somebody that people really like in certain schemes. Can he come in and play at guard for them? So I think that's the strategy is let's just see how many guys we can take at low prices and figure out a way to get five functional starters on the field. Brady Christensen is interesting. I, when I was watching him, the length is a, is a concern, and that's why I thought he would just move inside in the NFL. But there's a chance on this group that they think he's their best option at left tackle when it's all said and done. So that to me is the number one question. What, who are the five stars along the line? How does it shake out? And is that going to be a problem for them? Because of what we've seen with Sam Donald in the last few years, he's not had good line play and it has been an issue. So yeah, that to me is the number one question. I was say, good thing Sam Darnold is immune to offensive line woes. <laughs> He's just a regular Russell Wilson out there in terms of his ability to just uh, be his own pass protection. Um, I think that's fair, but I, I don't want to see the results if they're wrong about these guys. And you don't have a solid left tackle among the group. Um, I would say the biggest weakness, not, not tackle because they do have options there, but I would say defensive tackle. I mean, they cut, um, they cut Quan short and didn't really replace him. There overall, this team I think still needs to add defensive talent. Uh, you know, I'm obviously they drafted J.C. Horn in the first round, but yeah. other than that, I mean, they didn't add a, use a lot of high qual or high impact draft picks on, on defense, and they went out signing Hassan Reddick and you know, things like that. But for the most part, that was the thing coming into this offseason. Like, all right, what are they going to do on defense? And they really didn't make that many upgrades or that many changes. So. I think that's a huge glaring question. How good can this team be on defense if we assume, based on last season when they were a borderline top 10 offense with Teddy Bridgewater, that the offense is going to be pretty good again under Joe Brady? 
Yeah, top 10 with with no Christian McCaffrey for pretty much the entire season as well. And I mean, a lot of their moves in defense, short-term, Denzel Perryman, uh, Reddick, um, AJ Bouye. I mean, these are guys who are really just, you know, let's try and get by with these guys. Mm-hmm. And it could work. You can do that. We've seen defenses make that work in the past. But um, yeah, I mean, not a lot of, outside of Horn, long-term investment on that side of the football, which, it, you know, they have some young talent there. They have someone move forward with some of those guys and see what they have. But um, was surprised they did not add another defensive tackle to that rotation. Um, I think it, in 2021, if things break right, I think that unit could be okay. Sure. And we'll see what happens if does Horn allow them to play a little bit more man than they played last year when they were so zone heavy. You think about what the front is going to look like in certain spots. If Gross Matos takes a step forward, you can sprinkle Reddick into certain packages. So you've got Burns, Gross Matos, Reddick on the field at the same time. I think Morgan Fox is underrated. I really liked a lot of the stuff he did for the Rams last year as part of that, of that front. I think the Rams had so many guys deep on their depth chart last year they're like oh i like that guy like sebastian joseph day and morgan fox was definitely in that conversation so i absolutely think they could be an average defense with this group but what does it look like after 2021 i think is a totally reasonable question i didn't know morgan fox was even rated let alone underrated but i like morgan fox that's fine that's fine i i i think morgan fox is a totally football player um, he is 100% football player. Uh, the New Orleans Saints. Actually, no, another question about the Panthers with JC Horn. Do you feel older about JC Horn, Asante Samuel Jr., or Patrick Sertain Jr.? Which of those three makes you feel like you are uh creakiest? Which, which one makes your probably uh, Asante Samuel Jr., uh, just because I have the clearest memories of watching Asante Samuel? Dude, Asante Samuel was in the league like. In the last decade. That's really, it really hurts me. When, when did he retire? 20, 2013. Oh, that's horrifying. Oh, yeah. Asante Samuel was drafted when I was a sophomore in high school. Oh, that's miserable. I, I, I was in my third year of college when Asante Samuel was drafted. Oh, he's only 40. And I'm assuming his son is 20 or 21. So that's reasonable. I mean, he had him when he was really young. So, okay, that, that makes me feel a tiny bit better. Asante Samuel only being 40 and not like 52 years old helps this a little bit. Asante Samuel, after his six-year BYU mission, uh, entering the NFL for the New England Patriots. No, I mean, it, nothing makes me feel good. Like, just like, I have no issue. If he wants to have a child, have it whenever you want. That's not the issue at all for me. It's just about how old does it make me feel. And the answer is- Oh, yeah, is but that's what I'm saying. Extremely I'm just glad- I'm glad that Asante Samuel is only 40 years old. If he was like in his 50s, I would feel much worse about this because I vividly remember him playing. Yeah, I have some bad news, Mace. Uh, but that's where he's going. He's not getting younger, Asante I Samuel. Know. I know. Uh, Listen, I, I, I'm spending my time on message boards for vintage furniture these days. So <laughs> don't worry. We're all getting that way. Uh, mid-modern expert Robert Mays. Uh, I... With the Saints, like it's tough because so much of it boils down to just we had to do X, Y, and Z to be a yeah. functional football team. And I think overall, like they're in pretty good shape, but I think tight end stands out to me as a big concern. And even though they did add uh, Paul Sonadevo in the third round, I would assume cornerback pops for you as well. 
this is just the perfect example of what happens. It's the opposite of what they were over the last couple of years, right? When they were just kicking the can down the road financially and they use that aggressiveness to add little complimentary pieces at various spots. Like think about the guys that aren't on this roster anymore. Janoris Jenkins, Emmanuel Sanders, the types of guys who are kind of tacked on to make them the best roster in the NFL. And when the cap goes down, you can no longer do that. You no longer have the luxury of having the depth at those spots. So we're kind of back to where we were two or three years ago, where it's just Trey Quants with, with Michael Thomas. It's just Patrick Robinson with Marshawn Lattimore. They just lost depth and quality at some of those spots where that really matters. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, for some reason, even though they had all these missing pieces, the Saints were hellbent on trading up with seemingly every one of their picks at some point during this draft. It's amazing. You know what? Be you. Sean Payton. They sure are. Do your thing. I I was kind of wondering at a certain point, is the aggressiveness, was it fueled by this knowledge that Drew Brees was nearing the end Mm -hmm. and that they needed to make the most out of this? And when Brees left, maybe they would take a step back and be a little bit more traditional in the way they did things. Nope. Nope. Not at all. Just the way they do things down there. Got to respect it. You know what I think it is? It's like when you have the band that like spends a ton of money to make this album. And, you know, like they go to like the vintage house from the 1600s and then they're at the studio for like three months and they record, you know, like seven seconds of a drum track and it costs so much money. And then the record does well, like maybe it's not the best record in the history of the records, but it does pretty well. It gets pretty far. Maybe it would have got farther if, uh, you know, they would have benched one of the guys in the band for a younger, more talented player when he couldn't play the guitar anymore last year. But that's another story. Well, you're really now, going for it with this now. Now, like you're stuck. Like that's just your formula. It's like the next album, you're not going to be like, okay, we're going to go back to our garage and record for nothing. Like you're still going to spend a lot of money, but it might not be quite as exciting. The results might not be quite as impressive. I just like that Sean Payton. Sean Payton is a huge influence on the way they build this team. Sean Payton is a coach making these decisions, and that's what coaches do. Like I want everything right now. I this long term, be damned, and. I respect it. Uh, it's not going to work out well for them. I feel like they're trending a very fine line here, but you know, it, it's been okay in the past. Yeah, they've made it work. Uh, we'll see how it works without Drew Brees, uh, sort of normalizing things. Or but, if you don't have another 2017 draft in here sometime soon. Yes, if you don't have one of the greatest drafts in NFL history, that does seem to slow things down. Now, the team that might resemble those old Saints more than any other team in football right now are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where I'm looking for like a hole in their roster or like a spot where they need to add depth. It's hard. They're really good. Yeah. I mean, and the spots where they added in the, in this draft is exactly what I would have done. I mean, I I was drafting Kyle Kyle Trask in the second round. That's it was going to happen at some point. So whatever, but with drafting Joe Tryon in the first makes perfect sense to me. Not only are Jason Pierre, Paul and Shaq Barrett, you know, a little bit older, mostly JPP, but they played so many snaps last year. I want to say JPP was second in the NFL among edge players in snap percentage. So over 80% of their snaps. Shaq uh, Bear was at 77, I want to say. So having somebody come in, give those guys, give those guys a breather, mm-hmm. uh, keep them a little bit fresher, I think makes total sense. And we saw at certain points last year when Aaron Stinney had to play for Kappa, fortifying your offensive line and making sure that you have depth there. And if it, a rash of injuries come, which for this team, there are more injuries are probably on their way. They're the healthiest team in the league last year. 
fortifying your roster and on the offensive line to prepare for that, I think is a good way to use your resources. You know, it just occurred to me. They drafted Cal Trask. That probably means Blaine is out here. No. Oh, I don't know. I think that Bruce Arians loves Blaine so much that Blaine might just keep getting a check and let Kyle Trask be the non-active, just sit for a while type of backup quarterback. I mean, you saw Ryan Griffin was the guy who carried Brady during the ceremony. So Brady trusts Ryan Griffin. Bruce Arians loves him some quarterback rooms, man. I mean, the, the guys just hanging around, having a good time is, is part of the Bucks quarterback room equation here. So I wouldn't be surprised if Blaine was sticking around. Yeah, there was a chance that just Blaine shows up every week and Arians just pays him like $500 in the parking lot every week. Is Blaine no longer on the roster? No. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if he was there or not. He's a free well, agent. Tough. T- tough, t- tough for Blaine. That's all right. God, I speaking of feeling old, I remember Blaine Gabbert's mm-hmm. first year at Mizzou. I covered that team in 2009, and now he's 31 years old and on the back half of his career. So good for us. But with a Super Bowl ring, exactly. That's right. That's exactly right. As you would have still played. showing up at UFC fights with Tom Brady. He's living a great life. You can check out the UFC on ESPN Plus, uh, Arizona. I, it's really simple for me. It's like the opposite. Like Buccaneers, it's hard to find that spot. For the Cardinals, it's so easy. Like the cornerback yeah. is just a, a hope and a prayer here. I mean, you talked about it on your show or on one of the shows I heard you talking on this these past couple of weeks. Arizona, Malcolm Butler at one spot. Robert Alford, who hasn't played in a couple of years, if I'm not mistaken, at another spot. Byron Murphy, um, 2019 second rounder, I believe playing uh, in the slot. But I mean, this is just like, this this cornerback situation is a mess, and yes, they added um, a little bit of help in the draft. But like t- again, for how fast this team maybe wants to play when things are going well on offense, like oh boy, is this team going to be in some shootouts? I'm, I'm, so last year they blitzed a ton, and they played a lot of man coverage behind it. I'm wondering if bringing in JJ Watt, getting Chandler Jones back they're going to be a little bit less aggressive and put a little bit less on their corners. Maybe they play the exact same style, but when with different guys on the roster and different guys on the defense, I'm curious how that's going to inform their play style, but I totally agree. I mean, it's a question, you know, Alfred's been hurt consistently. Malcolm Butler has not been very good for the last couple of years. He's fine, but I still think you're putting a lot on that group. If you're going to play the same way they did last year. I'm just picturing Buda Baker, just frantically running around trying to like, (laughs) you know, just cover up open holes. It's going to be, it's going to be scary, I think. And I mean, again, they might be able to score enough that it doesn't matter, but oh boy. I, I do I love think the that. biggest question with them is not corner. It's what happens with Cliff. It, it, with the guys they have now, with more being, again, similar to the Packers, where it's a different type of offensive weapon, a guy mm-hmm. you didn't have before, to have that come in with Hopkins, how does that mesh together? Is Cliff Kingsbury the guy? And do they take a step forward? Just with the cohesion on their offense, I think that's as important or more important than what they're going to do at corner. So if Cliff coaches at um, at Tech, gets fired, goes then gets an NFL job, coaches for three years, does a decent job, maybe a little bit of a losing record, gets fired again. What's the next step in his progression? It's a really good question. Is it NFL offensive coordinator? I, it's probably a college job. It's probably some low-level college job or a, a college offensive coordinator. Is job. he one? Is he one of like the the like ten coaches Alabama has? Like, uh, 
Alabama <laughs> rehab program is a great spot for Cliff. That's great. It's so true. You just go there for one year and you use it as a way to catapult yourself to the next head coaching job. Mm-hmm. I could see that for sure. Um, the Rams. I'm, I'm going to leave this one for you. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't add to their offensive line. I mean, that <laughs> Shocking. Is, I mean, that's the biggest question. And there's a chance they see the guys in the room and they believe there's enough options there. And that's always the question when you're, especially in the interior, it's how many bodies do we have and what roles can those guys play? Do they think that maybe Bobby Evans can play guard for them? They slide Corbett to center and David Andrews can play that other spot. I mean, how can you find five functional starters? There is a chance in that room. They think they have that. I also read, I want to say Jordan Roderick from the athletic who does a great job covering that team mentioned that they might be going to a little bit more, a few more power schemes under their new offensive line coach mm-hmm. after uh, who's their offensive line coach before. Uh, I can think of it. I can't, I can picture him, but I can't think of his name. Oh my God. Aaron Cromer. Yes. After Cromer moved on, are they going to be doing some more gap schemes? Do they want some bigger guys in that spot? So I, it does seem like they, they could have five functional players at that spot. I was still surprised that they didn't use any of their draft resources to fortify that. And they picked a very, very small, fast receiver in the second round. But it does seem like they are committed to having more of a downfield presence with Stafford. Because outside of the quarterback play in general, the aspect of this offense that's been missing for really the last two years, mm-hmm. after 2018, is that they could not push the ball down the field. So now you have Atwell and Deshaun Jackson and Matthew Stafford. They seem committed to adding that dynamic back to their offense. This is the weird thing to me. It's like, okay, you have Matthew Stafford. Great. You know, you can talk about what it took to get there, but obviously a talented quarterback. You have Sean McVay, one of the smartest offensive minds in football. We all agree. You've invested a lot in Cooper Cup, and Robert Woods, two excellent receivers. No issue there. You spent a lot on Tyler Higby. You know, maybe he can still be that guy. That, that's fine. But certainly you invested a ton of receiver. You use a second round pick on Van Jefferson, which like, okay, that's, you know, you could have maybe addressed the offensive line, but still, hey, you know, you need a third receiver. You're an 11 personnel constantly. That's fine. You go out inside to Sean Jackson for one year and like four and a half million dollars. I, I don't really get that, but okay, maybe you're going to, have guys get burnt deep. You, you want to have a deep You burner. don't understand that? I think that's a totally worthwhile investment. What was the, like, who were the other teams who were going to give a guy who has not been healthy the past two years, who's 34 years old, four and a half million dollars? Please. I, I'm, sh- I'm sure that's in the range of what he probably would have gotten elsewhere. Why? Like, this is a guy, he literally, Maze, he is, he's, he's 30, he turns 35 during the season. Speed he, stays. Uh, it it, it always not, has. Based on what? What do you mean speed stays? If you're just a fast straight line receiver, you're you stay fast, and that's no. what they're trying to add to that offense. No, what are oh, you talking about? Dude. dude, Ted Ginn played in the league for like 15 years. Okay, the Rams should assign fast guys stick around. The Rams should assign James Jet. Like that would have been the move I would have suggested for them. You would not have cost four and a half million dollars. I think you're way you're way too critical of a four and a half million dollar signing here. These these are the Rams. Like every dollar counts for this football team. I am totally fine with giving Deshaun Jackson four and a half million dollars. I think getting signing Deshaun Jackson for four and a half million dollars and then using your second round pick on another undersized fast receiver. We can talk about that process, but I absolutely think that 
for the price they paid to Sean Jackson and what they were missing from their offense. That makes sense to me. Okay. What did Cordero Patterson get? Just, I think Sean Jackson is a much different ingredient in your offense than Cordero Patterson. It can be, but like you just seen a guy who's going to go fast downfield. Cordero Patterson is not fast compared to Deshaun Jackson. Cordero Patterson is not a take a take, take the top off burner guy. How <laughs> many mean, how, how many sixty yard touchdown or sixty yard receptions or forty yard receptions does Cordero Patterson have in his career? I bet you can count them on one hand. Okay, so number one. Do you want to talk about the quarterbacks Cordero Patterson has played with? It doesn't matter. I bet you can count them on one back. hand. I, 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 I would venture to say that maybe if he played with different quarterbacks, it would have been slightly different. I think with Cordero Patterson and Deshaun Jackson, given offense, are vastly different. Okay. Can you think of another fast guy who didn't get $4.5 million in free agency this year? How much did John Brown get? John Brown got less than that. John Ross got How less much? than that. John Brown got... I believe four. It's the same thing. I don't understand why you're so concerned about this. It's 800 grand different. And you're spending way too much time and energy on this. Because like, why are you so focused on your fourth wide receiver and your fifth wide receiver when you're already paying your first three guys on your offense, your first two guys and Higby a ton of money. Like there's so many other issues with this roster. Like, like you're showing correction to me, manufacture, manufacture, uh, a useful season out of a speedy guy. I think John Brown getting $3.7 million and Deshaun Jackson getting $4.5 million. How much did John Ross make? John Ross is significantly worse than both of those guys, by the way. Sure, but he's at least young. Like there's at least a chance that he is. Uh, I don't, I think you're thinking about this the exact wrong way. They okay. looked at their receiving core last year, said, we have way too much of the same guy. We need a different skill set on here. And they did it twice. The doing it twice to me is what you can criticize. And I also, the problem is Deshaun Jackson's health history. If you don't have him, you're going to lose that aspect again, which is why you draft that well. So I, I'm totally fine with it. I can't believe we spent this much time on this. Okay. We, we, will, we will look back at this later in the year. Do you think that Deshaun Jackson will make more than $1 million per touchdown pass in 2021? No. I think I think he will come. It's four and a half million dollars. You light four and a half million dollars on fire on a one year deal. I, I just this does not make sense to me. Okay, Seattle Seahawks. What are they? I say there? the secondary is still a question. The Akello Weatherspoon, I want to say, is a guy that they signed to you know hopefully be their guy on the other side. And the offensive line is still something to worry about. I mean, obviously they brought in Gabe Jackson, but for the most part, outside of those spots, it's status quo. So what are they going to do in the secondary? And can that offensive line hold up? I still think they should be lobbying for a Richard Sherman return here. Right. I mean, if he can be the other guy on the other side, I think you're in much better shape than you are right now. Do you think he should be allowed to spank Pete Carroll at the press conference? Like, like what should Richard Sherman be allowed to do? Like, should he be allowed to punch Richard uh, Russell Wilson in the face once at some point during the season with no repercussions? Like what, what is the, what are the terms to get Richard Sherman back in Seattle? I'd say it's a conversation. I mean, that that's an ongoing discussion that'll be happening. So, so Carlos Dunlap is still there, right? They brought him they, back. They, yes. they cut him they, and they brought him back. So they signed Alton Smith as well. What a, what a weird weird collection of edge rushers. It just brings me back to so many different things over the last 10 years. Kerry Hyder 
who was a Grantland NFL podcast favorite in like yes. 2015 is on this team. That's a Carlos tackle. Dunlap, Alden Smith. I mean, there are just so many weird players in this front seven. I don't know what to make of this team because I think the biggest question about them is what the offense is going to look like now with Shane Waldron there and whatever tweaks they're going to be making to that scheme. And then the defense, I, again, I just, it's such a weird team. I really don't know what to make of them. Really, really tricked me with drafting a wide receiver with their first pick. I did not see that one coming. I mean, I get it. I mean, th- this is a team that I think would like to live in three receiver sets in the same way that the Rams have for the last few years. And if that, that's a, that's a need. I mean, there, I don't think there was a clear option for who that third receiver would be. Do they want to live in, in 11 personnel? Is that true? I mean, I think they certainly could. I think they could for sure. And I don't think that would be indefensible, but like, I, I just, I just look at Pete Carroll and I think that man wants a fullback on the field at all times if possible. Yeah. I would probably pass on that. I'd, I'd, sp- I'd spread this out for, for Russell Wilson a little bit more. I, mean, I think I that I, if you're looking at the offensive roster and, and you don't love an offensive lineman and you're comfortable rolling with Brandon shell at tackle or poaches at center or whatever, I think you could look at your third receiver spot and say, we need an upgrade there. That would make sense to me. Like I, I don't think it's indefensible. I'm just saying I was surprised. Yeah, I mean they have holes elsewhere. But when like, you're trading two first round picks for a box safety, you're probably going to have holes elsewhere. It's not a box safety. Plays multiple positions. You know that. Yeah. Did can he be two different people at the same time? <laughs> if you're Pete Carroll, he can be. He can be uh, your star safety and your first round pick. Jamal Adams is just the definition of somebody who's really fun and is not worth two first round picks. Oh, that's mean. He's great. I love watching Jamal Adams play. Trading Jamal Adams for two first round picks does not put you in a very good spot. Well, uh, I picked against the Seahawks last year and it was wildly frustrating. So I'm not going to do that again this year. I'm just going to leave it at that. I, uh, I have a lot of Seahawks fan friends. I wish the best for them. I, I would love to see Russell Wilson continue to sit to continue to succeed. I don't need him on my team anymore. So I hope that that relationship gets mended and they do great things. San Francisco 49ers. I kind of feel like they're in a similar situation where not the edge concerns, not the offensive line concerns, but just these cornerbacks, like this division, man, outside of the Rams, these cornerbacks are a serious question. Really, really relying on Jason Verrett in this moment. And I love Jason Verrett and watching him play and be healthy last year was so much fun. I think bringing Kwan Williams back was really nice for them. I was wondering what kind of market he was going to have in free agency. I think he's a reliable slot corner. Mm -hmm. So getting him is really nice. And we've seen Emmanuel Mosley has been functional at times. They drafted somebody in the third round. So hopefully they can piece that together. But if Verrett can stay healthy, that would be a huge, huge win for them. Because I think for the most part, the rest of this roster is in pretty darn good shape. Sure. Like, I think they're in great shape, but this is a market that still has some cornerbacks out there. Like, it's not as if, you know, if you want a wide receiver, you're pretty screwed. Like there's just not much out there to work with at this point, but still out there at cornerback. Currently you're looking at AC um, Hayward, Richard Sherman. Yep. Uh, Buster screen. If a team needs somebody in the slot, I'm just, I'm not looking at the list. I'm just doing yeah. this. Steven Nelson. Yeah. Steven Nelson. Yeah. Um, TJ Brian pool is out there in the slot yep. as well. Um, you know, there's some talent out there for sure. And I think some of these guys are going to sign now that the, um, the June 1st designation, uh, is no more and teams can sign players without having to worry about, uh, incurring any, um, compensatory pick formula hit. But I just, you know, like, 
again, I love Jason Fred. He was great last year. You cannot count on him being the core cornerback on your defense for 16 games or 17 games. It's just a dangerous, dangerous game to play. Well, considering what their pass rush might look like, it might end up being okay. Not only do they have a lot of the guys who made them really, really good over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. I absolutely love the guys that they took swings on. Going to get Maurice Hurst and getting him out of from the Raiders, making a low risk bet on a guy like Arden Key. I mean, that's exactly those are exactly the types of players that this team can get more out of than their previous stop. What Chris Kasurik, their defensive line coach, has consistently done with the guys on that roster, I just love the way that they put that position group together. I I, I could definitely see being someone who pays maybe too much attention to the 49ers second string defensive line, which is oh, maybe yeah. not unwarranted. Like they were DJ good a Jones years is too. a very fun player. I really enjoy him. Like a couple of years ago, it was um who do they have as their backup rotation guys in the Super Bowl? Uh like Ronald Blair and Cassius oh, yeah. Marsh. I, t- I totally agree. I, mean, I, I, I think that that group has always been fun to watch because I really like this, the style they play with, the attitude they play with. And that to me is Kasurik. I'm one of the other things I'm watching with this team. What do they look like with, uh, what do they look like with D'Amico Ryans as their defensive coordinator? Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's going to be a question because uh, Robert Sala did such a good job with them for the last couple of years, but I know they're excited about Ryans. So that staff defensively has been really good. And if they can continue to be really good, and we'll see if the quarterback depth shows up as much as it might for another team. Yeah, and Ambry Thomas as well, uh, third round pick. They used a corner, could figure in a spot here. But I mean, I think you know um, that defense is going to go as well as the pass rush performs and as healthy as those guys stay over the course of the season. Um, only the NFC East left for us: Dallas Cowboys, a team that uh, I mean, you could make the case for the edge here again as well. Absolutely. I also think that safety is is a question because if Keanu Neal is going to play linebacker for them, they've got a lot of linebackers. Yeah. But I think question marks at safety because Demonte Casey, even if he knows Dan Quinn, knows the defense, he's coming off an ACL or excuse me, an Achilles. And it was in week five. So early in the season, hopefully he's going to be healthy. But him, Donovan Wilson, I mean, there are definite questions for them at safety. Obviously, they went out and they drafted Kelvin Joseph in the second round. So you'd hope that corner is less of a need than it was at the start of last week, but safety is a concern. Edge depth is a concern. That's really it. I mean, obviously the offense is absolutely loaded. And now that they've protected themselves a little bit better with line depth than they had last year, even over the last couple of years, the range of outcomes for them offensively, I think is much, much smaller than it was last year when if Smith and Collins got hurt, which they did, it was a disaster. Now with Ty Naseki there, he's a much more reliable swing tackle than the guys that they had. So I have a feeling the offense is going to be fine outside of another Prescott injury, but the defense and beyond the personnel, what does a Dan Quinn defense look like in 2021? Because I have absolutely no idea schematically what it'll be or what the quality of it will be. I mean, I can't imagine it could be worse than the Mike Nolan defense, like in terms of just I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. You say that, but the Mike Nolan, I want to say they finished something like 20, 20th, 21st in defensive DVOA by the end of the season. I mean, it wasn't great, but I don't necessarily, I wouldn't think it's a guarantee that they're better than that this year. The way they got to 21st, like I, it was, I honestly, very, it was very bad. It was very bad. Like, like every big play that team had 
allowed on defense was like they were just like like some guy just ended up in the wrong gap or like was not facing where the ball was like as the team was running through the hole like it was just like how does this happen over and over again maybe that's why there were a lot of high profile terrible moments you're right you're you're totally right you mentioned the linebacker situation where you have Micah Parsons finally drafted on the first round Jalen Smith uh still with a big contract on the roster Ken O'Neill converting from safety to linebacker and then Leighton Vanderesh, who we know has some injury concerns, but the Cowboys just declined his fifth year option. And this is a guy who was being seen as like a potential superstar as recently as last season. Do you think that he has some trade value possibly uh, for the Cowboys? I'd be surprised if he does with all the injury concerns with both him and with Smith and the way that Spitz play has fallen off. I don't know. What would you give up for Leighton Vanderesh right now? I'm having a mid round pick, maybe. I think if you have a, a, a surplus of edge rushers, maybe you give up. Um, like, I think, like, the who was the guy the Dolphins traded? Shaq Lawson. Like, I would have traded Shaq Lawson for Leighton Van Der Esch. Yeah, That makes sense. Is, it, is there a team out there that you could think of that needs a linebacker mm-hmm. desperately? Washington probably did coming into the draft. They no longer do. Um, the Browns were a team that people considered for linebacker. They drafted a Wusu Koromoa, and they have Anthony Walker now. Maybe the Eagles, but like the Cowboys aren't going to trade with the Eagles, probably. Yeah, there's not a clear partner that comes to mind. Yeah, I'd have to think about it a little more. Um, The New York Giants, a team that kind of feels like their biggest hole happens to be the thing that they can't fill, which is the quarterback situation. Um, By the way, I'm just so excited that Mike Glennon is the backup quarterback for the New York Giants right now, given Daniel Jones' injury history. Like, There's a almost guarantee that Mike Lennon is going to start multiple games for the Giants this year. Welcome to my life, buddy. <laughs> at least at least he's not being paid $15 million for the privilege. Um, I have a question for you. Yes, please. Are we a little bit concerned that this team is just drafting first round receivers when the offensive line is still not good? I like the fact that they were in on Devontae Smith, who I love, and Kadarius Tony, who I don't love quite as much. Like, I, I, I was sort of like, okay, this is something the mock drafts keep doing, and it makes no sense. Like, they already have Kenny Galladay, who they paid a significant amount of money for. Sterling Shepard price, yeah. Sterling Shepard is now on an extension, and now finally has the slot to himself with Golden Tate released. Darius Slayton looked really good as a rookie. They they just paid John Ross. I don't know, not a significant amount of money on a one year deal, but he's going to be on their roster. Evan Ingram is coming up for an extension, and he is a you know, he's not an inline tight end. He's a move tight end. I don't know why they need more receivers. Like, I understand, yes, get Daniel Jones everything you can. I Maybe from that perspective, it's just, hey, we need to just add more pieces. But um, I, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't get why, given what the rest of this roster needs, they, that Dave Gettleman, the guy who loves offensive linemen, was like, nope, we need another receiver. They must like the guys they have in the building. The guy they hired to be their offensive coordinator or their offensive line coach, Rob Sale, who is at the who is at University of Louisiana Lafayette. People that know a lot more about offensive line play than me, he's highly respected. So there's a chance they think that they're going to get better offensive line play just by virtue of the staff this year than they got last year. Obviously, if you remember, there was that very weird situation with the offensive line coach and Colombo got fired and everything else. But even if you project a jump from the coaching quality it still feels like they're betting really hard on guys like Nick Gates and Zach Fulton. And I don't know. I, I just think that if I were, if the thought was we need to do everything we can 
to make sure Daniel Jones succeeds. I don't know if another receiver was the best way to chase that. I really don't. Mark Colombo got fired and then some garbage reporter was like made up a story about it. And then when the story was false, just said, oh, well, I got you guys. Like, yeah, I remember that story. That was fun. It was great. Good times. Um, uh, a mutual friend of ours, I was talking with about the giant situation, about the by way I don't know why they needed the wide receiver. And they said, it's like Dave Gettleman wanted to fly in the face of every criticism lobbied against him. He trades trading down, down and then getting a receiver. Yeah. He gets a receiver in the first round. Like, I love that Dave Gettleman is just like branching out. Dave Gettleman uh, reads the comments. That's all we need to know. We, we've learned that. Again, I, I think there's a part of me that likes to dream that the Dave Gettleman typing gif is about me. I know a lot of other people feel that way. I don't blame them, but I just, I believe just like, you know, when uh, you hope that a song's written about you, I hope that that gif uh, is based on me. One day, maybe we'll find out. The other question I would have about this team, who's rushing the passer on this team? Uh, Leonard Williams and uh, obviously Leonard Williams, who's played, who's paid like Aaron Donald, which we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> but outside of that, I mean, this team has a lot of big physical non-pass rushing defensive linemen, them going to get a guy like Breland speaks off the board in Vegas. <laughs> it's <laughs> way too predictable that Dave Gettleman was like, Oh wait, he's big and he can't, doesn't really have any pass rush juice. Yeah. Bring him. That works for me. Danny Shelton's <laughs> on this team now. It's incredible. I, and they're physical. I Watching them play up front is fun, especially when Tomlinson was there and him and Lawrence and Williams. The length is incredible to watch all at once. But again, getting after the quarterback, there is not a lot of explosiveness or suddenness among this group. I mean, you're hoping for maybe Aziz Ojolari to step up. That's really uh, that's really it. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's that that you really need him to, to be a day one contributor for you. But even that. Like, I still think that Leonard Williams' best role on pass rush downs is to play inside. For sure. And if you're doing that, and Ojolari is one of your other, one of your edge guys, it, again, it's even with Ojolari, if we think he's going to be good, which I think he can be, I still think this team lacks juice in that area of their defense. And I like a lot of the other things that they've done on defense. And I think Patrick Graham is a good coach. Yeah. I mean, and the secondary could be very good. Maybe it's just we're yeah. going to cover well, and then that's going to give our pass rush time to get home where we can blitz a bunch because we have a good secondary. But um, I have my questions about the pass rush, and I have my questions about the pretty much the entire I think you're going to see a lot line. of three safety, three safety sets from them, too. I think that's how they've built here is depth, 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 versatility on the back end, two gapping up front, all of that stuff, which I'm excited to watch it. But that the pass rush thing is the one question I have. Yep, two teams left here. Philadelphia Eagles, um, again, constrained by the cap. Certainly plenty of questions about what they were going to do. I mean, they trade up two spots for Devontae Smith. They trade up to get Landon Dickerson. Sorry, they get Landon Dickerson in the second round. Trade down, get Milton Williams in the third round. Um, what do you think they have left to do with this roster? Oh, I, I don't even know if that's the way to frame it. Okay. To me, it feels like maybe not starting over, but I don't know if this is a group that's like tinkering their way to contention again. I mean, in my opinion, they can't really move on from a lot of these guys right now, whether Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, the aging players on the roster, but next off season, would you be surprised if there was a huge purge here and they kind of hit the reset button? That to me, that's what, that's what the Nick Sirianni experience feels like to me. Rock, paper, scissor, Nick Sirianni experience. I mean, you could see that for sure. I, I think the flip side of it is they're sitting here probably saying, okay, our offensive line was 
destroyed by injuries last year. Like pretty much by the end of the year, it was just Jason Kelsey, you know, and four guys who probably aren't going to play again if things break right. So we have a solid offensive line. We are going to be um, enjoying the Jalen Hurts experience one way or another. Um, and we're going to try and get after the quarterback with our front four. And if we get that to work, great. If not, it's going to be a long year. But, you know, I think that it's like, I think they see this really as like a a transition year. And they yeah, had to that's, eat, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. They had to eat the Carson Wentz money. But I, I think if they have a good season, great. Like, I think it's, you know, you could see they were not making significant investments this offseason. They couldn't really financially, but they weren't doing a lot of those, you know, um, you know, like voidable year deals to try and, you know, destroy their or, or hurt their 2022 cap. Like they are eating their vegetables. And if they come out of it after this year with Jalen Hurts, great. And if he's not very good, well, now you have maybe three first round picks to work with and cap space next year. So I think it's more like, you know, um, I look at that at the secondary and I just think, okay, Darius Slay is going to have 40 targets this year. And whoever's playing off from Darius Slay is going to be targeted a hundred times. And given the available cornerbacks out there, like you could add somebody who's going to be a competent cornerback for not all that much and maybe have the possibility of a functional defense because you have a functional secondary. And this just feels like a lesser version of the team that they contended with. And you dropped Devante Smith onto it. Like that's what this feels like. So I think transition is the word that I would use. This feels like a holding pattern on their way to the next version of the Eagles roster. Mm-hmm. What about Zach Ertz? I mean, he's certainly been, it's been like sort of a, we've known a trade or a cut are, are coming. It hasn't happened yet after June 1st. Now that uh, does impact the cap situation. If you want to have Zach Ertz be the one guy who, you know, outside of Alshon Jeffrey is getting bumped into 2022 for cap savings. Um, do you think Zach Ertz has a market? Like, do you think he goes somewhere? Like, where do you think he ends up? Just trying to think about connections that would make sense. Like, um, the Colts just drafted another tight end in the fourth round, right? And they still have Jack Doyle. They still have Mo Cox. Just thinking about the Frank Wright connection there, if that would make sense. Um, I don't know. Is, is there a tight end needy team that you would think about? Bills, maybe? That's a good one. That's a good one. I think that makes total sense. Just one more pass catching option. Give just another layer to what they're trying to do on offense. I think that's a good one because they were in on Gronk and then missed out on him. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I I talked about this before. Could you not see like Zach Ertz becoming a beloved figure in Buffalo immediately? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Like like week three, he catches a game winning touchdown pass from Josh Allen. And like he is. I mean, for Mitchell Trubisky, that's. Sorry. (laughs) Zach Ertz and Mitchell Trubisky both resurrect their careers in Buffalo this year. Together, together, Sackerts catches 10 touchdown passes for Mitch Trubisky. What do you make of the Bills offseason? How do you feel about them right now compared to how you felt about them at the end of last year? I mean, they got to keep pretty much everything they wanted to keep. Like, yeah, they did not have to totally rebuild their line because they kept Feliciano. They kept Daryl Williams. Now, Daryl Williams might not be a superstar tackle, um, but the price was pretty reasonable. Um I think think that's why I love the Spencer Brown pick in the third round. I mean, a guy who clearly great frame, great feet, questions about play strength, competition level, all that stuff. Having him as a developmental guy while you have stopgap options there, I think is a really smart way to build. And then just the the dice rolls on the edge players. I like it because they really rotate their guys at those spots. They're playing 60% of the snaps for the most part along the defensive front. And Addison might not be their pass this year. And Jerry Hughes is my age. So I can understand that that group might look a lot different 
next year and having two young, talented guys just to throw into that equation now, I just think give some teeth to your defense as you're trying to stave off regression, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I would have liked a cornerback, but again, there's still guys out there who they can do some business with if they're so inclined. Um, you know, they could go out and hit a running back if they want to. There's always going to be running backs available in the free agent market. So I, I feel like, you know, they're in position to pretty much stick with what they had. And I think that's something that's a very, very deep, very talented football team. I agree. I, I tend to agree. Last team here, Washington football team. Really good. Third in defensive DVOA last year. They had Ryan Fitzpatrick. They had help for the offense. They had Danny Brown in the third round. They they signed Curtis Samuel at receiver. Not a great group of weapons heading into last year. Much better now after this past season. What else should they have done? Maybe go get a safety somewhere. That's what maybe. I too. Maybe depth I mean, and safety that, with Lennon Collins coming back from the Achilles. Just because you, you think that if Curl and Collins are both guys that you don't necessarily want playing center field and whatever else, but that team played so much quarters last year. If theoretically, they could play both of those guys at the same time. But safety, depth, and quality, I think, is the only question. Like, similar with them and uh, the Panthers with J.C. Horn, can he allow them to play a little bit more man in Carolina? Does William Jackson going there allow – the Washington to be a little bit more aggressive with some of their coverages that they play. But overall, I love the plan. Um, just the guys they added, the areas that they added, and how the pieces all fit together. It makes total sense to me. And if Cosme can come in and be a day one starter for them at left tackle after they traded for Eric Flowers, it's a good team, man. I mean, I think that after last year, it could have been easy for them to get ahead of themselves a little bit and say, we can contend right now. I love that they've been patient in the way they've built things. They've added players at the positions I would have. I'm excited to watch them next year. Mm-hmm. I will be intrigued to watch them as well. Uh, what do you think happens with Brandon Scherf? I think he signs a long-term deal. Really? I, well, I, they're interested in signing him to a long-term deal. I will see if he thinks it's high enough, whatever. Obviously, injury concerns, but I think they want him to be a building block for this team for a while. Well, what's taken so long? I'm sure that they, they're coming to him with a number that is informed by his injury history. He's looking at, this is all speculation, but uh, this is my assumption. They're probably coming him to a number, coming to him with a number that's informed by his injury history. He's probably looking at the Joe Tooney deal and saying the gap here is unacceptable. Like, look at what that guy's getting. Look at what you're offering me. I need to be make market setting money based on where I was drafted, what kind of player I've been, all of that stuff. He's a lot better than Joe Tooney. I understand that, but he has missed a ton of games over the last few years. And I sure. promise you that's Washington's stance on this. Sure. I, if I were him, I would just take a year and I would get paid a lot of money in free agency. And by the way, I'd also make $3 million more than anybody else in football at my position on the second franchise tag this year as well. Second tag in a down year in the cap. Not bad. $18 million. Impressive. All right. We did it. We did it. Got to them all. I think you're depressed about the most exciting thing that happened to your franchise. I'm not depressed. I'm not depressed. I want to make that clear right now. It's not depression. It is. I am tepidly optimistic, but there are aspects of this that I have concerns about. I, it's going to change. I am sure when I watch him play for the first time. And when you, if he is as good as I think he can be and you get swept up in the excitement of watching a guy like that, that's going to be a new experience for me. 
And when that happens, I'm sure that my thinking about this will change and what they need will come into clearer focus and all of that. I just, again, there's so much riding on his success that it's hard not to think about the factors that ultimately could determine that success. He could be the best guy they've had forever the moment he walks in there. And if that's the case, maybe I'll just be excited about it. But I think it's hard not to think about the lack of help he's going to have from the start in a lot of different directions. As I just tweeted, after an hour plus of taping, quote unquote, I am tepidly optimistic. We we got there eventually. Great. Great. I appreciate it, buddy. <laughs> Please plug where people can check out more of your thoughts, not only on Justin Fields, but all things NFL related. Robert Mays. I am at The Athletic. Uh, with the athletic football show, we're still going. We had a show yesterday. We're taking the rest of this week off, but then I think Nate, uh, Lindsay Jones and I are going to do a mailbag the week after. And then after that, we're back to two shows a week. We have a off season schedule that we're pretty excited about. So hopefully people will come check that out. And I think I will be writing about the Justin Fields thing later this week as I collect even more of my thoughts. Tremendous. Well, thank you for doing your duty and coming on to talk about the most exciting moment in recent Bears history. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it. It's always fun. All right. As always, thanks to Robert Mays, my friend, former colleague, and my favorite Bears fan, or one of my top five favorite Bears fans. I don't want to disparage anyone else, but always happy to have Mays on the show. We'll be back next week. We're going to do the AFC next week and talk about the missing holes on those rosters and kind of recap it in the same way. Hope you guys enjoyed this one and more audio coming next week.